Hello, and welcome to the Space Weather Facts and Forecast podcast. I'm Isaac Bregeman, amateur space weather enthusiast, and I'll be giving you the current space weather conditions, a forecast for the upcoming week, and telling you all about a fascinating space weather phenomena. Stay tuned. We should be approaching solar maximum in the not-too-distant future, but the sun seems to have forgotten about that. For the last two weeks, things have been quiet. That's not to say there have been no sunspot regions. There have been, and some of them have even been moderately complex. However, they have simply failed to flare. But if we rewind farther, back into December, we find the two strongest flares of Solar Cycle 25 so far. An X 2.87 flare on December 14th, followed pretty soon after by an X-5 flare on the 31st. Sadly, although both flares released powerful CMEs, neither of them affected Earth. Now, there are nine numbered active regions on the Sun, although none of them seem very magnetically complex. The background X-ray flux has just crept back into the sea range, so maybe things are picking up again and we're in for some flares. It's hard to say yet. However, just earlier today, the sun broke the silence with an Earth-facing filament eruption. It appears that the filament did launch a CME, maybe even a lopsided halo CME. Preliminary forecasts predict an arrival on Monday, January 22nd, or maybe early on the 23rd. Anywhere from a KP4 to a 7 could be possible, with a KP5 or 6 maybe the most likely. Current geomagnetic conditions are low. The KP is 1, with a solar wind speed a little below 400 kilometers a second, and a BZ that's alternating between about plus and minus 5. The hemispheric power is 17 gigawatts in the north and 16 in the south. Not much happening right now. As to the forecast, the only thing of note is the filament eruption CME I mentioned. Once again, this could arrive on Monday, producing maybe a KP5 or 6 storm. Aurora chasers at high latitudes will likely get a good show. For those of us at mid-latitudes, well, we'll have to watch the data and hope for a favorable impact. A KP6 should it occur could make for a decent show even at lower latitudes. Thanks for listening to the forecast. Now it's time to talk about this week's featured space weather phenomena. Earth's magnetic field is an incredibly complex and intricate mechanism. Without it, it is safe to say we would not be here. It allows compasses to work and creates stunning auroras. How is it formed though, and what exactly does it do? I'll talk about all this and more in this episode. Earth has an outer core made of liquid iron. Iron is great at conducting electricity, and scientists believe there are electrical currents flowing in the Earth's molten iron outer core. Now, electricity flowing through a material, especially iron, will generate a magnetic field. For example, in your own house, every wire that carries electricity is surrounded by its own magnetic field. Inside the Earth, the process is incredibly complicated, but basically, the rotation of the Earth, coupled with the convective up-and-down movement of the hot molten iron, as well as the electric currents flowing through it, 
come together in what is known as the dynamo effect. The dynamo effect is responsible for creating a large-scale planetary magnetic field. This magnetic field is not constant because the motion of the molten iron is not constant. Instead, it changes in both intensity and orientation. One of the most notable effects of this is that the north and south magnetic poles are moving. The north magnetic pole is heading away from North America towards Siberia at an accelerating rate of nearly 55 kilometers per year. The south magnetic pole is moving much slower, around 10 or 15 kilometers a year. It may seem strange, but the magnetic poles do not need to be exactly opposite each other like the geographic poles. Another effect of the gradual changing of the magnetic field and wandering of the poles is in navigation. Compass users should know that a compass points to the magnetic north pole, which is usually not lined up with true north. To correct for this and find true north, you must point your compass a certain angle away from magnetic north, known as your magnetic declination. This declination value is constantly changing as the poles move and it also changes as you move on the Earth's surface, something navigators have to be aware of. It is a very good thing our planet has a magnetic field. Probably its single biggest benefit is that it blocks most of the incoming solar wind. Because the solar wind is made mostly of charged particles, like electrons and protons, it is effectively deflected by our magnetic field. For examples of what a planet with minimal magnetic field exposed to the solar wind looks like, we just have to look at the moon or Mercury, rocky worlds with no atmospheres. If it hits a planet directly, the solar wind can strip away the atmosphere through ionization of the gases, and it could kill life with direct exposure. Luckily, our magnetic field prevents this. A very small amount of the solar wind does squeeze through the field, where it is funneled by the magnetic field lines into two ovals at the polar regions. This is what causes the aurora. When the solar wind intensifies, such as during a CME passage, Earth's magnetic field is compressed back by the increased pressure, and a little more of the solar wind is able to squeeze through to the poles. Accordingly, the aurora brightens and expands further south. This also explains why the BZ, which is just the direction of the magnetic field in the solar wind, is so important. Our magnetic field points north, and so when the BZ points south, the solar wind is attracted in towards Earth. When the BZ points north, the solar wind is effectively repelled away from Earth. Now I've already mentioned two of Earth's sets of poles, the geographic poles and the magnetic poles. The geographic poles represent the axis that Earth rotates around, and the magnetic poles represent the locations where the magnetic field lines are exactly perpendicular to the Earth's surface. In other words, at the magnetic poles, a suspended compass needle would point straight up and down. It turns out that there is yet another set of poles, called the geomagnetic poles. These are a little harder to understand, but I'll do my best to explain them. Earth's magnetic field can be approximated as a dipole, which is the simple magnetic field generated by a bar magnet. This approximation isn't perfect, but it does a good job and makes things simpler. If we imagined there to be a giant bar magnet inside the Earth, we can figure out how it would be oriented 
based on the locations of the magnetic poles. It turns out that the center of the magnet would be angled about 9.6 degrees from the planet's rotational axis. Now if we think of a line going straight through the center of this bar magnet approximation, angled at 9.6 degrees, the places where it goes through the surface of the Earth are the geomagnetic poles. They do move, but very slowly, and are currently located over Ellesmere Island in the Canadian North and over Antarctica in the South. The locations of the geomagnetic poles do not correspond to the locations of the magnetic poles. An interesting property of the geomagnetic poles is that if you average their positions over thousands of years, you get the position of the rotational pole. The geomagnetic poles essentially travel in one long circle around true north or south. Another surprising fact is that the aurora centers around the geomagnetic pole instead of the magnetic pole. Because the geomagnetic pole is currently in northern Canada, this explains why the auroral oval dips relatively far south into North America, but doesn't in Europe or Asia. One final thing I want to talk about is magnetic reversal. We can tell from geologic records that every so often, maybe anywhere from every 10,000 years to every 50 million years, the poles of Earth's magnetic field flip, with north becoming south and south becoming north. We know this from examining the seafloor at mid-ocean ridges. As the land split over time and magma seeped out and cooled, the magma preserved a record of the polarity of Earth's magnetic field. Geologists can tell that the polarity of the seafloor is organized in symmetric bands of alternating polarity. This strongly supports the idea that the poles reverse. It is unpredictable when the next reversal will be although some speculate that we are in the early stages of one now, due to the fact that the motion of the north magnetic pole is accelerating. Pole reversals take hundreds or thousands of years, during which the magnetic field gradually weakens, reorients itself, and then strengthens again. A reversal would likely not have too many drastic effects for life on Earth. The most notable effect might be that because of the weakened magnetic field, strong solar storms could possibly create ozone holes in our atmosphere. Ozone holes let in increased UV radiation from the sun, which might lead to increased sunburns or skin cancer. However, the overall effects of a magnetic reversal would be pretty minor, especially compared to what some propose, such as continents splitting apart. Overall, the magnetic field of the Earth is a very complex and important system, and we can be thankful that it exists. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to subscribe and share it. Also, please consider leaving a review. It helps the podcast get found. New episodes are released on the third Saturday of the month on major podcast platforms. See you next time.